to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. What is up, Better Golf Pod Nation? I am your host, Spencer Aguiar. And as always, I am joined by one of the sharpest golf minds in this industry, Nick Brettwish. The two of us will be your conductors on this journey through the Farmers Insurance Open Betting Board. And we will do our best to provide you with any of the tools or data needed to get those tickets across the finish line this weekend. Nick, how are you doing, dude? I am doing well. It was a pretty decent weekend overall, but uh, just really upset the uh, Hammer Gift Kid lost. Carlos Ortiz, and I know right after we clicked uh, stop recording last week, I was contemplating him or Lanto Griffin, and we went with Carlos Ortiz, and uh, I don't know. He just didn't really play well, but it's all right. He kind of made a charge the last day, but just wasn't enough to make that three-day cut. Yeah, it, it was You know, it was an interesting week for me. Um, I, I will let you actually get us started on it because I, you had a better week than I did overall with everything that happened, but uh, recap what happened with you. What was some of the good? What was the bad? I mean, I know you mentioned the Ortiz there, but where did you end in terms of units after everything was said and done? I was plus 0.4, so just over the profit line there. The good for me was Harold Varner. I was very heavy on him. Lanto Griffin was very heavy on him, was equally heavy on Carlos Ortiz, though, so that really kind of hindered my upside. Gary Woodland, another guy that I was quite heavy on, that hindered my uh, my upside again there. Um, but Will Zalatoris, I had him in a matchup over Alex Noren. That was pretty heavy on my end in terms of what I usually play on matchups, so that was great. And then your ticket of JT posted that I would have never played actually got me across the profit line. So thanks to you for uh, kind of cleaning up my Carlos Ortiz mess. But I, I just I wish Will Zalatoris would have got it because I had uh, my outright ticket on him and he was just so damn good after he shot that 61. That was fun to watch. I think it was seven birdies in a row, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Zalatoris is a great talent. And we talked about it a little bit on the show last week that you get these ebbs and flows in the market where you know, six months ago, a year ago, Will Zalatoris was a guy that was 18 to one in given tournaments. And we saw the price bloat a little bit over the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, I think he's a guy who appears to be with his game back on track at this moment. So uh, I wish we got a little bit of higher number on him this week. Unfortunately, we're going back down this road of him being about 30 to one in these fields. But I, it was a weird week for me overall. I only had 6.45 units up for grabs, so it's not as if the event was likely to result in too much damage in either direction. But I probably had five plus units swing away from me based off of four to five shots in total. I got a really gross push on Gary Woodland minus 115 over Cameron Champ. That looked locked up with a few holes left. I actually closed the app that night and thought I had won the bet until a change was made to Woodland's score because of the lack of stat tracker and proper results outside of the stadium course. Only in golf could that happen to where the information is not even right on the site. But Champ made a few long-distance bombs to get a chop there, and it unfortunately kept on the same path in all markets for me. Jason Day couldn't keep it together. He made way too many mistakes to barely miss out on his top 40. Uh, that's a three-unit swing for me if he could just have picked up a couple strokes coming in. Taylor Moore crumbled over the weekend. Uh, I did hit the JT post in top 40, but I was two shots off from me landing a plus 950 top 20 ticket. There are weeks where you feel fortunate to escape with minimal damage, and then there's going to be events where you lose and you're left scratching your head. This was more on the second side of that equation, but minus 0.845 units for me at the American Express 
to bring my yearly total to plus 6.10 through the first three weeks. I do want to note that I made a few slight changes to my model heading into Torrey Pines. It's hard to completely get around the limited data with certain players, but I did make about a 5% move to my numbers. That might not seem like a ton on the surface, and it honestly isn't, but I always try to note when changes get made early in the season. This is going to be something that I do throughout the entire year to make sure I stay in front of certain variables, but I thought it was, it was important to mention for anyone that uses my sheet. But uh, with all of that being said, I don't think I have anything else to say about last week. It likely would have been a much different recap if Day could have landed a top 40. And I assume I'd be doing the show from Costa Rica if he had won the tournament. But do you have any closing thoughts before we kick it in the high gear and look into the Farmers Insurance Open? Not really. I just personally, I don't think I really liked the event. It was so weird with the three different courses. It was so it was so hard to track, especially like lineup watching and everything like that on the DFS side. And then just how many guys that I had in my lineups that missed the cut by one stroke was such a bummer. But yeah, um, was very heavy on Johnny Vegas too in DFS. So that obviously did not work out. And then Chan Kim, naturally I'm overweight on him, but it doesn't take much to be overweight on Chan Kim because I think I'm the only one that still plays him. Uh, missed a cup by one stroke as well. So other than that, Chan's game is coming around. I think he's leading the tour in driving distance right now. I guess it's only two tournaments that he's played. But if he can learn how to putt in America, because he's not a bad putter in Japan. Like I go look at their stats. I think he's top five or top 10 in putting. So uh, is there a difference in grass in California, Hawaii than there is in Japan? Potentially, I don't know. Never been. I just think it's a different of the layout of courses and, and what's required. And, and I think, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you've seen this, but... Uh, Chan Kim on the PGA Tour website, I think it's on strokes gain total. I want to say, I mean, obviously this is not correct, but they're doing your boy a disservice on this. They have them like negative 60 strokes per round in strokes gain total. Like their, their little uh, statistical model that they have going on it or whatever their formula is, is clearly broken at this point. But I found it humorous that Chan Kim was like negative 60 strokes per round. Yeah, that's straight up disrespectful. Cancel the PGA. <laughs> that's get... that's kind of what we're at at this point that jason day was on that list also although after what i saw for him last week you know i it, it's funny with him i actually thought he looked pretty good at times uh and then you just had these random implosions where he'd be in the water or he would he had some horrible chips and for a guy whose short game used to be so spectacular didn't really see it last week he missed a lot of short putts so i don't know my model kind of likes Jason Day again this week. He's a two-time winner of this tournament. Uh, you know, I think you can go back there on DraftKings. I think you didn't really get a performance from him where people are going to necessarily want to go back to him. But for the time being, I think the Chan Kim experience, we might have to hold off on it. Yeah, at least he's not in the field this week, so I'll save some money that way. Because naturally, I have to put 100 on him to win every outright. Well, when it hits, we'll be rich in this yeah. show. Well, it's a we'll Jason Day off. effect for you, Chan Kim for me now, so... Well, we all have a person like that. I think everybody can can say that in this industry. But we have another rotational event this week. Uh, it's going to be a little bit better than we had last week because there's only two courses. We're going to have Stat Tracker on just one of them. But Torrey Pines South and Torrey Pines North uh, players will rotate between the two venues on Wednesday and Thursday before all golfers that make the cut will close their weekend with 36 holes at the South. Uh, that point of this starting Wednesday and ending Saturday is important, and I'm stressing that again. I am sure you're going to hear it a million times on various platforms, but the PGA Tour didn't want to compete directly with the conference championship games in the NFL and decided to wrap up shop early before Mahomes steals away all the viewers. Last five winners of this tournament have been Patrick Reed at 14 under, Mark Leishman 15 under, 
Justin Rose, 21 under. Former number one player in the world, Jason Day at 10 under. And current number one, John Rahm at 13 under. I decided to exclude John Rahm's U.S. Open victory uh, from last year. Uh, just because the North wasn't in play, not to mention it was a much stiffer test than we will get this weekend. But before I give my breakdown of what we have in front of us, let me know where your mind's at. We clearly have a handful of routes possible when it comes to stats and information at our disposal. Was there something you noticed that you decided to weigh more heavily and thoughts about these two venues as a whole? Yeah, this was actually um, one of the weeks I did not weigh approach very heavily. I focused mainly on the proximities from 150 to 200 because it is a very long course. And a lot of the data that I found kind of speaks true to that. I do want guys that can hit it relatively far off the tee. I want guys that are great around the green and great putters. So as much as I want to play Keegan Bradley again, it is not the week for me to play Keegan Bradley with the uh, the putting. <laughs> Yeah, when we get into these rotational events on my end, instead of trying to figure out where the differences lie, I often try to find similarities. In the process of doing that, you will get the differences shown to you as clear as night and day. But I always feel like it's essential to locate the overlapping quality since it makes building a model much easier. And I know the theme of the week will be that the one round in the north is much more straightforward than we will get at the south, which is all true in a vacuum. But I'm not convinced the two stops are as different as the perception around them. Tom Weiskopf did some redesign work on the North before the 2017 tournament to give it an updated feel. I don't want to make it sound like he added anything that made it more challenging on the surface because he has been as clear as can be with his words that the North is to remain the easier of the two tests. Uh, there are over 80,000 rounds a year played by amateurs at that track. And his goal was to keep some of the aesthetics and ease while making minor changes to the property. He definitely did a good job of that, uh, but the reduction in strength seems to stem from a very specific six holes led by all four of the uh, par fives. There is a 440-yard difference between the two tracks in length. 233 of those yards come at those stops. That reduction gives us a 15.22% higher birdie or better percentage on those par fives than we get at the south's four chances. There are also two short par fours under 340 yards at the no north one being drivable for most of the field at 322 yards. But that's where the true differences come into play. It's not as if the North is some outlier to its counterpart. Uh, it's a really difficult course when you take away those six holes. Seven of the eight par threes at the two stops are over 200 yards. Weiskopf always likes to add drivable par fours to the mix. Uh, but when we look at the numbers and we put it into perspective, nearly 63% of all birdies are better per round at the North occur at the four par fives and the two short par fours. And that's not even taking into account the downside that comes into play elsewhere. Uh, so for me, I started my model with 20% on par five birdie or better percentage. You have to make birdie when you get your four chances at the north. And while they are more difficult, it will be your four best chances at the south. I did 15% on a weighted proximity over 150 yards. That's what Nick was just talking about with it. Um, I redistributed to amplify the exact percentages, but 66.1% of irons come from this distance. We get a lot of the same looks over and over again at these tracks. I did the PGA Tours definition of ball striking for 15%. That was a 75-25 split of distance over accuracy to form total driving. And then a 70-30 breakdown of total driving over GIR percentage. Most of the winners of this event have finished inside the top 25 on tour and driving distance during the year of their victory. Your outlier would be somebody like Patrick Reed. Uh, but he won this with his short game. I think distance is a nice weapon to have. Weighted short game for 15%. That's my mathematical combination I used of around the green, 
three putt percentage and sand save percentage, a weighted par three and par four category that looked at some of the longer holes in those examples for 10%, uh, an additional 10% on a combined mixture of long courses and difficult courses. And then I finished with 15% on a weighted POA category that took both strokes gain total on POA and strokes gain putting on POA. I like that combination because it highlighted an overall array of the surface and not just the total aspect where bad putters got away with no repercussion to their total. That's somebody like Keegan Bradley that Nick mentioned. I think that when you look at this, there's just certain players that are not good putters, but uh, top five of that model yielded Rom, Xander, Finau, Hideki, and Justin Thomas. When running it for upside, Sam Burns snuck his way into the fray. Um, anywhere you disagree with those five names I just mentioned and what did your model look like? No, I mean, that's really close to mine as well. Um, I had Rom Berger, Justin Thomas, Matsuyama, and then a damn near tie between Sam Burns and Xander Shaw. Yeah. Daniel Berger is a guy that, um, I included the course history. Now I gave him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. He had a miscut in 2019, a miscut in 2018, but I, when I ran this just from a statistical perspective, uh, he is sixth overall for me. So he makes a massive jump there. So I think Berger's an intriguing play this week. Yeah, I don't know if I'll get there. I definitely didn't get there in the outright market, but I uh, I just wanted Xander to show up number two and he didn't. But I think that's going to be my guy this week. I'm going to talk myself into it. Well, I if it's not Jason Day, I talk myself into Xander every other week. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit as the <laughs> show goes on. But uh, was there anyone you were much higher on than consensus? I mean, is Sam Burns a little too high being tied fifth? I like it. I like he's seventh overall for me, fifth from an upside perspective. Um, I'm a little bit higher than market consensus on him kind of across the board. Um, very minor on my end, but I, I like the Burns call. I think he's a guy whose game is going to the next level. I think he's a potential top five player in the next couple of years. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, no, I just, I just, I don't know. I can never find myself really liking Sam Burns, but the other guy that stuck out like a sore thumb cracked my top 15 at number 15 himself. Aaron wise feels like just a great, great course fit, but I question, like I was going to put him top 20. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but I just question his upside with this strong of a field, but I, I think he's a guaranteed cut maker this week and a very good value in DFS, but I have not checked ownership at all. So that is just, you know, ownership pending, of course. Uh, Wise looks like he's about 14% right now, which would place yeah. him as the ninth highest owned guy at 7,500. So that's, yeah. that's very popular there. I hate mid-tier chalk. What's Charlie Hoffman's ownership then? Uh, Hoffman is 6%. All right, I'm just going to put all my shares down there. I, I just can't do the mid-tier chalk anymore, especially after uh, who was Joel Damon in Hawaii. Not good, not not good for me. That was because uh, I had the damn nuts that week in the DFS and just had way too much Damon or Diamond, whatever his name is, you get it. Yeah, I'm so frustrated. I well, I think, I think you're correct with that too because when we look at it, the 7K chalk and the 6K chalk, even when we drop lower, those usually are the worst chalk ranges that you can find on a given week. Uh, the one thing that I found intriguing about Aaron Wise, and and I don't like the ownership. I mean, I'm not going to bet him. I don't have anything on him currently. But one thing I found interesting is when I hit Max Homa at the Genesis and I changed some of those numbers to be in a more short-term perspective from it, Homa jumped in my model like crazy. And that's the same thing that's happening to Aaron Wise this week. He made, you know, he changed his putter. He made some differences and changes there. And um, if, if Wise is a guy who's going to be better with the flat stick, he does have upside to compete. And I haven't decided what I'm going to do with him. I, I think he's probably out if he's going to remain at 14% on DraftKings. And um, 
as I said, I don't have anything elsewhere on him right now, but I think he's an interesting guy this week. Yeah, I think I will uh, stick to cash games for my Aaron Wise exposure. I think that is a fair way to go about it. Uh, I will answer mine in terms of DFS that I'm higher on. My model really liked the 8K range and even the high sevens. I will rattle off some guys that showed us potential values. Uh, Mav McNeely, Ryan Palmer, uh, your boy Justin Rose, Matthew Wolf, Patrick Reed, Max Homa, Luke List, Taylor Gooch. Some of those would be better for cash. Like like a guy like Luke List is over 20% right now. It's the same thing that we're talking about with Wise, where I think List, there's ways to play him. I wanted to get a top 40 ticket on him. We will talk about the top 40 market and not all the books being open right now, but that was more of where I was trying to get exposure with him. Um, if we move into the 9,000s, Finau, Sam Burns, Leishman, Sungjae, I think there's a really strong crop in that area. There's a lot of upside players above them, but there's going to be more risk involved too. My model seems to be reading it in that fashion where their overall rank is worse than their GPP rank. That just means the boomer bust nature that you're going to get with them. It's going to come down to ownership in a lot of those situations. We will get a better idea of that on Tuesday. Um, and you can also get some of my fades that I'm going to have in my Vegas report article. But one of the guys that I am curious to see who they price him against would be Dustin Johnson. So I have Dustin Johnson correctly priced more in the Sung JM range in like that low $9,000 being proper. And we're never going to get that from Dustin just because of his upside that he presents in the public. We'll always be on Dustin at, at you know, too high of a number with it. But uh, I would love to find a price against him inside with one of the guys inside of the top 10 in my model. Do you have a take on Dustin or, or any fades yourself? Uh, I like Dustin, but my model actually doesn't. I just personally do, but he's what 12th. So I guess it, it certainly likes him, but in terms of price and everything that's in the betting market, no, not really at Dustin, but I do love Maverick Manili. He is blowing up my model as well. So I'm glad you mentioned him, but yeah. So, so you're looking to pick on Dustin, huh? But I mean, he's 14th in my model, but it's going to come down to, I mean, he's $10,300 on DraftKings. I don't necessarily think they're going to put him in a matchup with the people I want. Like, I would really like to get Xander against him in, you know, either an even money type situation or even Xander at plus 100. And, and I don't know if we're necessarily going to get that this week, but uh, that's kind of how I'm looking to take him on. I'm not looking to fade him necessarily. I'm looking to fade him in the right specific matchup if I can find it. Xander would be one of those guys. I'm even kind of curious on Hideki if we got a Hideki plus number against us. And I think there could be some value there, but uh, it's not a full blown fade. He's 14th overall for me. Clearly he's upside when I run my model for upside, he has a chance. It's just, you know, he's a more volatile golfer than he is safe. And that's kind of what I'm looking at at the top of the market there. Certainly. Yeah. I think just me personally, I just stay away from the stud against stud matchup market. I just, I've never done well with that. And I think I've, I mentioned that a little bit last year too. Those just scare me a little bit. So I'll be a coward in that market and kind of sit out and watch you be a hero. Well, I, we've discussed this before. I agree with you for the most part in it. I think you run into a very big risk when you take on the stud versus stud, you're trying to find miscut potential with it, but I, it's going to just come down to a number grab with it. Like what I'm saying right now, we're recording this so early that it might not even come to fruition. Like Xander could be minus 150 against him and everything I've just said is, you know, forget about it. But it's kind of the same sentiment with Kepka. Like both of those guys, their GPP targets at a low enough number, their um, potential outright bets if their numbers were higher. Now, I don't like the prices that they have, but 
you know, they're guys that are going to be more boom or bust for me. So that's my only thought there, but let's move into the placement market. I am sure Nick and I will run some more data over the next 24 hours and come up with additional options. We don't even have top 40s available at the time of recording this at FanDuel. We usually get better prices there. So take this, you know, lightly in some of these spots because I think you can potentially wait. But uh, give us your first top 40 play that made your card on DraftKings. Yeah, just to, to reiterate, if you like some of these guys, like if they're on your radar too that we're mentioning here, I would say just wait a night and see what comes out on FanDuel in the morning because they just seem to have better pricing so far this year. But my first one is going to be Cam Davis. I had him priced at plus 130 to finish top 40. And DraftKings has him at plus 165. He's got two straight top 40 finishes here. Uh, really long hitter really good with the long iron proximity that I was looking for salad around the green and a guy that, you know, I don't think putting is a volatility and his putter can actually get pretty hot and a guy that tears up par fives. So Cam Davis plus 165 is someone I like a great deal. Yeah. He's 31st in my model, 25th on par five scoring. Um, as you mentioned with it, I mean, he's been good course history, 32nd, 36th over the last two years the form has looked good coming in with a 27th and a 10th with it i think that's a really good number that you just mentioned there yep he's someone i like a ton how about you uh well i want to preface it with this i want to see where luke list is on FanDuel. i'm not going to play him at plus 100 uh he was one of the first true outliers that my model had at a plus number same thing with max home up at plus 110 that wasn't quite high enough for me i think we might get better prices on FanDuel. Uh, but the first guy for me will be Charlie Hoffman for a top 40 at plus 150 on DraftKings. Uh, the par five scoring and short game both worry me a little, but Poa is going to give him his most significant boost. He ranks inside the top 20 of my model in ball striking and weighted long iron proximity. And he's also been fine here in the past, posting two top 10s and three additional top 50s over his past eight starts at the track. Uh, from us talking previously and recording on Action Network, I know your thoughts on Hoffman already, but I'll let you reiterate some of those stances on him for why you like him. I think he's honorable mention for the hammer gift kid play of the week for the top 40 market at plus 150. I just love his long iron play. He's very good at this course, just but really, I mean, he's a good putter, solid around the green, but the short game can certainly be his demise. But just an elite, elite long and mid iron player. And that's something that I like a ton. I did actually value course history a little bit this week, too. So, but. I had him priced at even money, plus 100. It may, at, the, at worst, I think the first time I ran it, he was plus 110 to finish top 40. So 40 points of value at a minimum for Charlie Hoffman. I absolutely adore that play. And then I just wanted to reiterate as well, we are both kind of on FanDuel watch right now to hopefully get a plus 125 or plus 130 number on Max Homa because we both seem to like him a ton this week. So that is... Uh, I'm just going to keep pressing refresh. Maybe it happens on air. That'll be fun. Yeah. I mean, that would be nice if we were fortunate enough to have that happen, but it's just one of those weeks where it's difficult. Like, you know, the tournament starts Wednesday. We're trying to get the information out for everybody and it just made it a little bit more difficult on our ends with it. We are people that are trying to find value and it's hard when we're only basing it off of one market right now, when we know that FanDuel is likely going to give us a better price on a lot of these options, but uh, I know I stole that Hoffman one from you. I'll let you go again, though, and give us uh, your second play, or I guess your third play now. No, actually, do you want to tell the story you told on action? I think that was awesome about Charlie Hoffman and his California history here, the San Diego history, I guess, to be exact. Yeah, so Hoffman is born and raised in the uh, San Diego area, and uh, funny enough, he went to UNLV and played golf there. So, I mean, he has West Coast ties through and through with it, but 
Uh, there's a really good golf digest story that came out in 2011 that talked about just Hoffman talking about his upbringing in San Diego and his favorite courses. And he mentioned Torrey Pines being one of his favorite courses uh, that there is on tour. The one thing that he mentioned with it that I found interesting is that when you look at when Reese Jones uh, in 2001, I believe, did some uh, work on it for the U.S. Open, it made it more difficult. And one of the things Hoffman said is that he likes the North course better because he just thinks it's a better course for people to play. That's always a little bit worrisome when you get information like that, that there's a course that, you know, maybe he doesn't like as much as he used to as a junior. But the thing I like with it is, is what I just mentioned with it being the results are getting better over time with it. And I think it's, he has familiarity with the property and that's something that, that, I mean, we see it with Xander too, and we'll discuss Xander more because he's another hometown kid with it. But sometimes it just takes, you know, getting that whatever it is mental block out of your head that you're playing in your hometown. And some guys do it better than others. But I think it's a really good spot for Hoffman that he's getting better in his career at this venue. So uh, I think it's a I think it's an intriguing spot for him. For sure. Yeah, I never knew that. I knew he was from San Diego and I knew he went to UNLV because obviously, you know, running Rebel with you. So yeah. um, my next Anyb- anybody who's gone to UNLV, you will hear them shouted out on this show. Yeah. And they're wind players. Remember that if it gets windy, Charlie's got it. Yeah. Um, Mito Pereira. Am I saying his last name right? You are. Nice. Look at that. One for one on the confusing <laughs> names. Actually, no, we're uh, is it Joel Damon or Joel Dahman? I say Dahman. I say Dahman, too. I think the announcers always say Damon, but to yeah, me that that spells Damon. It's yeah. like the Xander Shoffley. Xander, I always used to say Xander Shifley. I know it's Shoffley, but I like Shifley better than Shoffley. I've never heard him say Shifley, but uh, yeah. All right. Um, rant over Mito Pereira, top 40 plus 120. I had him priced down at minus 120. So another 40 point value banger for me. Um I'm a little bit nervous to see how he fares in a very strong field because he did have five top 40 finishes in his last six events, but those are all significantly weaker fields than what we'll see this weekend at the Farmers. But again, an elite long iron player, solid putter, really good off the tee. I believe he should rank pretty high in your total driving model, but just an absolute stud that came on the scene a lot last year in 2021. So I'm just going to ride the hot streak and bet a little bit on Mito Pereira top 40 at plus 120. I have not punched that ticket yet because I have a feeling FanDuel is going to have a better number. But as of now, I'm on a price alert watch for Mito and Max Helma. Yeah, I like the Mito uh, recommendation also. When I look at total driving, he's 26 overall for me, but he is the number one GIR player in my model. That puts him eighth overall from a ball striking perspective, 14th in his weighted proximity. Uh, As you mentioned, he was playing in weaker fields. I do think he was going in the wrong direction of a couple of those last starts with it, but uh, he's a very talented young up and coming player. And I think you could make an argument that in six months, we don't see prices like this on him anymore. So uh, I like the thought process on me though. For sure. All right. What's next for you? Well, there's only going to be one more for me until we get some of the pricing out, but Wyndham Clark top 40 plus 165 on DraftKings. Clark and DeChambeau are the only two players in this field that rank top 10 in both driving distance and POA putting. Uh, The American is bringing good form to the week after posting a 13th at the Amex, an event he gained with his irons for only the fourth time in his last 16 starts. Although it is worth noting that he's been inside of uh, the green numbers of his uh, gaining strokes on the field in four of his past six starts. So it might be giving us a peek into a correction that has been made. 
Clark has come top 40 here in two of his three attempts while averaging negative 2.5 shots to the field with his irons in those starts. And for anyone thinking it might have been the one that he missed the cut that's enhancing those numbers, that was actually his best performance of the three where he only lost 1.5. I think there's real upside here if he's figured out something with his approach game. Uh, but that's going to be it for me right now. As I said, I'm going to run numbers over the next two days. There might be an opening that presents itself on FanDuel once the pricing's released. But Luke List, Charlie Hoffman, Wyndham Clark, Mav McNeely, and Homa were the names that I was most intrigued to see where they landed. I only found DK value on Clark and Hoffman. Maybe that changes later in the week, and I likely will be looking at some top 20 numbers on books that pay ties and folds on those names that I mentioned also. But take us home with everything else that you have, man. So far, um, the guys that are on my watch list, again, I'm going to wait for FanDuel to drop the numbers, but I like Scotty Scheffler top 10 on DraftKings right now is plus 225. I only found like 30 points of value there, maybe 25 at the worst. I had him priced right around plus 195, plus 200. Um he had, I think he has two missed cuts here back to back. I think the only two times he played it, but for some reason, my model loves him as an upside build or a upside buy. I got him a, in the outright market as well. We'll go over in a bit. And then another top 10 ticket on Mark Leishman plus 250 on DraftKings. I do think that price will probably stay. That should lead the market. I don't see FanDuel coming out with anything longer than that. Just an absolute star here. Guy is like a walking top 20 finish here, uh, 2020 winner, and I think his game just fits great overall, and he's playing good golf right now. So I like him to sneak in the top 10. And then one other guy I want to get your thoughts on. I know we talked about him, but I like Aaron Wise at plus 220 so far on DraftKings. Again, I think FanDuel may have a more fair number for us. To finish top 20. But again, when I look at Aaron Wise and I look at this field, I just have a hard time getting my heart to decide that he could actually has the upside to finish top 20. But what you said earlier seemed to convince me that that is a ticket worth looking out for later, especially if there's a better number on FanDuel. So Aaron Wise, top 20, Scotty Scheffler, and Mark Leishman, top 10. Yeah, with Wise, I think the preferred way to play him is to go up into the top 20 of the market. I think that that's where the value is going to come and play with it. Yeah, DraftKings had like minus 120 on top 40. I was like, if that's not, I'm just not laying juice on a top 40 market. I very, very rarely am also like the Charles Howell of a couple weeks ago is one of the only times that I've dipped into that part of the market. But yeah, I mean, as I said, I, I think Wise's game is is on a positive trajectory at this point. The putter is the one thing that's always held him back. If the putter is turning around or has turned around, I definitely think he has upside to make a top 20. I think he's a better player than the perception is around him. He's a better than a $7,500 golfer. Uh, Scheffler, you know, it's tough because we're not talking about a victory here, but he's a really good long course player. He's a guy that you're going to want to target in these types of tournaments. I don't think he looked that bad last week. And I think that it is a good buy low spot on him. Um, I kind of like him in the way that you're taking him to like get him into the top 10 of the market and try to take a chance there. And then Leishman's just one of my favorite plays on the board this week. It's, you know, you have the Kakuya grass that he grew up on. You have uh, he's been really good on this POA surface in his career. All the proximity ranges are kind of what you're hoping for from him. He's a former winner of this tournament. He's a guy where I know you said that you normally don't look at course history, but this is a tournament where the course history does seem to roll over pretty well. So Leishman being good over and over again here is something that definitely caught my eye. Yep. I love that. I actually did weight uh, course history pretty high this week. Last guy I want your thoughts on overall, Jordan Spieth. Uh, Wait, where, do we where do you have him on your model? Not that high. And I'm a Jordan Spieth, 
Speeth Truther. So he was 22nd. Yeah, he's 26th for me, 20th when I run him for upside. And he kind of falls into that same zone of of the Dustins and the Kepkas where, you know, I, may, I like Dustin more. I, I like, I I like no Dustin problem. more also. I want I to preface no, it with that. Yeah. I have no problem playing like uh, this is more of a DFS question, I guess for you though. I have no problem going overweight on Dustin this week, uh, especially, but it's like, I'm assuming Xander's going to be chalking that low 10 K range. And that excites me for Dustin, but for Spieth, I just, I think he's sitting in no man's land in between Scotty. I don't think people will go ahead. It seems like no one ever plays Brooks unless it's a major, but when Sanjay and Will Zell and Tony Finau, especially Tony Finau and his course history, Mark Leishman's right there. I feel like Spieth may be like five to 10% owned. What do you got for Spieth and ownership? Uh, these numbers are very early in the week. Um, I only have 3.7% for yeah, speed right now. I was going to say, I was going to go under five, 10 to be safe, but you know, that was kind of a coward estimate, five to 10. I should have <laughs> said five or below. So yeah, I don't like, that's where I'm worried. Like, especially with around the green and putting is something I want so much. Speed's putter, I guess, hasn't been that hot lately, but I don't know. I want to play speed. I just, I need you to talk me in or out. When I'm looking at guys, and this is going to contradict everything that I've just said, when I'm looking at guys that are going to be pretty decent leverage plays that have upside to them that I don't necessarily want to target in cash games or in head-to-head markets that if I'm just looking to take a shot, Dustin Johnson has positive leverage. Kepka has positive leverage, although I, I, um, I don't know what to do with Kepka. Like it just doesn't ever work. I don't think I've ever played him correctly one time in a non-major. And then Spieth has positive leverage. Those are... I believe the three guys and Patrick Reed would have to be the stud in long courses too. I know he's not like a long hitter, but he's not, a, he's not too short off the tee. And I feel like every, I don't have the data in front of me, but I feel like he does very well in long courses just off of history in my mind. Yes. I was uh, over, his, over his past 50 rounds, he is sixth at long courses and second at difficult courses. When I weighed those two long and difficult factors together, he was second overall in my model from there. Uh, number one would be John Rahm. Oh, all right. Sounds like I'm gonna have to find a way to get speed exposure somewhere. But yeah, and uh, to go back on the Aaron Wise thing, I think if he's gonna be that high owned, a top ten ownership guy at mid range, I think uh, the top twenty is just gonna be my ticket, and I will fade in GPPs just because you know if he does really well, my ticket will help a lot. So that's that's where I'll go. Yeah, I I talked about that with Taylor Gooch a couple weeks ago, where he was in the nine thousand dollar range and. You know, I hated him for DraftKings, but it was one of those situations where bet him for a top 10. Like, if that's what you're trying, like, that's what he needs to do to pay off his price tag. And, like, it'll help in a different way with it. So there's always ways to get exposure to these guys if you, you know, the ownership starts running wild with it. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that Wise probably makes the most sense as a top 20 wager. Sweet. All right, let's hit the outrights or matchups. What do you got for matchups? Anything or is it they're not posted yet? I don't have enough posted right now. I'm going to, you know, I will, for, for this week, I will, po- if I find any matchups, I will post them onto my Twitter. Um, so be on the lookout for that. But like, if I'm trying to find somebody to fade, if you could give me anybody in the market, I would like to fade Hudson Swafford. I don't know if we'll be offered that matchup, but <laughs> Swafford's a guy I would like to take on. He is the biggest negative differential I have in my model. Um, and you know, outside of that, there's going to be a lot of guys that are lower on the board. Like I'm scrolling through right now, trying to find somebody, but um, let, let me ask you this actually, because the ownership is very intriguing on this guy and and I don't necessarily like him, but he hasn't been terrible here. Do you have any thoughts on Billy Horschel? I like Billy Horschel. The only so, concern I had, like, so he graded as a plus for me in the way that I 
kind of divulged the around the green and putting. And uh, I guess the only downside was the proximity is a little bit starting to knock him down. But for a guy that could put like he can and the touch around the green, I feel like he could certainly be in contention here. Yeah, he is the biggest model differential I had when trying to find leverage. He is as of right now. And if this changes, the numbers will change. But as of right now, he is less than 1% projected on in ownership and at $7,800, that does open up a bunch if you can find a way to sneak them into a lineup. Yeah, I will. And what was Aaron Wise, 7800 Uh Wise is 7500 7500 okay. So not apples to apples, but yeah, no. If he's 1%, as much as I hate the guy, hate's a strong word. As much as I dislike <laughs> the guy, I hate watching him putt. I will say that. I do hate watching him just sit there and line it up for 10 minutes and just wiggle his feet. I don't get it, but... Yeah, uh, no, he's a, he's an interesting guy. I was going to write him down too, but I figured we could uh, lay off Billy Horschel for a week. But no, that's a very intriguing point there, 1%. There's an, I don't think it's like, he'll probably go up a little bit from that number, but there is so much ownership being eaten from Wise and then Luke List at 21%. And, uh, you know, Jason Day, 6.5% right now. I'm sure I'll own like 79% of him when it's all said and done. So that number will end up being like 20% with it. But what I'm trying to say is like, there's real ownership around him to where I don't think Horschel's necessarily going to get much above two or 3% when it's all said and done. Oh, I love it. I think he'll for sure make this cut. And at that price, you just need guys to make the cut see what happens on the weekend. I would agree with you on that, but uh, all right, let's move into this outright market to close this right now. Um, I'm hoping you have more to say about it than I do. If I'm being honest, I kind of think Xander is going to win this tournament, uh, but there's no world I'm going to bet him at 16 to one. He can win without me at this point. I, I know everyone will think Jason Day is the answer to this question, but <laughs> there is no golfer that even comes close to how much money I've lost on Xander. Like in just outright wagers, I believe I was down nine or 10 units on Xander, which is just an astronomical total. When you look at it, I, I think a better price on DeChambeau might've intrigued me. Uh, I don't hate the number where it is, but I'd preferred higher. Like that's just a long shot, not long shot. Sorry. That's like, a, um, I don't want to say dart throw. That's the wrong word I'm looking for. Obviously DeChambeau is one of the favorites, but that's one of the guys that you're, you're kind of betting on his upside and you hope that it clicks versus whatever his downside is. Same sentiment for me on Scotty Scheffler. I know you like Scheffler this week. I just don't know if I can get there at 30 to one or whatever the price is that you got on him. Uh, it's hard to find these victories. It's just, same thing with Will Zalatoris. Like if you could have given me 50 to one, 45 to one, I would have been very interested with it. But the only three real tickets I have right now are Mark Leishman, 40 to one, Matthew Wolf, 70 to one, and Max Homa, 70 to one. I also threw a dart on Wyndham Clark at 190 to one. But the, the Wolf thought process is more of taking a shot on his weighted proximity numbers, par five scoring in his distance. I don't trust the short game. But I do think we can bet on some of the upside that is all long irons work better than we usually get out of him from shorter distances. Uh, if the GIR percentage goes up, maybe he can get hot with the putter. This is a boom or bust route to go with him, but I just think it's a very good number. Leishman, as I mentioned earlier, has been on record about this being one of his favorite courses. The Kikuya grass is something he grew up on, and he tends to find his putter at this stop. And then Homa provides a similar mixture of par five scoring, proximity, and poa putting. He ranks sixth in this field for par five birdie or better percentage, which is fourth when we remove the corn fairy kids. And he's also fifth in strokes gain total on POA, 12th in POA putting and sixth in my configuration of those two stats. 
you know, as I said at the beginning of this, there's a chance I add more by Wednesday. Uh, any of the other names I have will be posted in my Vegas Report article, uh, but it will likely be another minimal week for me in exposure in most areas that aren't head-to-head wagers. I think the outright portion of this tournament is a little too much up in the air for my taste, and the rotational nature does dampen certain markets, but do you have a different outlook than I do and thoughts about some of the outrights that I just mentioned? Oh, the, I wish you would have took a break talking real quick. Cause my first thing was ask you about Matt Wolf at 65 to one or 70 to one. I think there's both prices out there. I right now just see 65 to one and yeah, I wanted to go back. What was he 30 to one last week? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah. I, I know this is a stronger feel too, but I feel like th- just for the fact that I've bought a 30 to one ticket last week. I have to go back at 65 because like you said, the proxies are there. The putting got better. I know he lost strokes putting last week, but he couldn't have played any worse that first day. Other than that, he, he was all right. Um, if he just, you know, erases that, I think if he goes two under the first day, he makes a cut. It was just a horrible, horrible first day. And that par five, you went in the drink twice. That was fun, but ultimate meltdown. But I just think he's such a good course fit here. And again, I, I kind of like, I've mentioned this many times. I kind of like to go down the board to see like high powered names that do have outright equity and like go past the 50 to one market and see who I got. Like he's the only one I wrote down other than Max Helma. So I'm with you on Homa. I got that ticket at 70 to one as well. Matt Wolf, you just answered for me. I guess I'll I'll follow you into the abyss there. Um, the other, I, I am going to punch the 30 to one ticket on Scotty Scheffler. I'm interested in Dustin Johnson at 22 to one on DraftKings right now. I know your thoughts on Dustin Johnson, so you don't have to get into that too much. Um, I rode the Leishman ticket as well, 37 to one on FanDuel. And then my two bombs, just uh, I barely put any money on, just I think to win seven and a half units on both was Charlie Hoffman, 130 to one, and Cam Davis, 100 to one. I feel like I, I don't know. I feel like Cam Davis has a lot of firepower if he just goes off one low round, keeps him in it all week. Yeah, I, I like your thought process with that. And Charlie Hoffman's a guy that I've considered adding an outright ticket on. I think I'm probably more inclined to bet him top 20. Uh, maybe add a top 10 on top of it. Just put my units that way with it rather than trying to hit the outright there because I do think the winner is going to be one of these guys that are, you know, I, I, don't, include, mind, hey, I don't mind Xander 17 to one for the record too. I meant to say that. Well, I technically don't mind him either. I mean, like he's one of the better values on my model, but I just can't do it anymore with him. Like my model seems to believe he's like a 12 to one golfer. And he obviously isn't. He's not winning golf tournaments at a high enough rate. And I guess the one positive thing would be that I think he's found a way to turn his game around on this course. It's kind of what we were saying, like with Charlie Hoffman, he's a hometown kid. There was four out of five years or whatever the number is where he missed the cut in a row. And now we have two, or I guess it would be three uh, top 25s here in his past four attempts that he's played this course. So I think he's trending in the right direction. I always like him at these U.S. Open type setups. It's not going to be as difficult as it was when they played the U.S. Open here last year, but it's a really good course. When you talk about total driving and hitting greens and regulation and long iron play, like this is the Xander Shoffley recipe for success. Yeah, I, I like him a ton. He just looks so good in every aspect of the way that I ran every number this week. Um, the one question I do have for you, and actually just like looking at the outright history, it looked like, I don't think anybody longer than 55 to one has won, have they? At least since they've been tracking legal sports betting. I don't have it in front of me, but to answer your question, yeah. I mean, you're looking at guys that are like 40, 50, 60 to one or less. Yeah, on that. or short. So yeah. 
So I think it's it's a studs tournament in the most part. So I'm probably light in money on fire with uh, Charlie Hoffman. But Cam Davis, I think he could he could sneak up there a little bit. We'll see what happens. But uh, Bryson, you like Bryson at the 25 to one range at 25 to one. I think it becomes maybe right in the zone where you can kind of take a chance on it. The best I had seen was 22 to one on it. Yeah, DraftKings bit... is 22, and then my uh, like janky offshore has 24 to one. So I feel like I'm just going to go there. I guess that's what I was trying to say about DeChambeau is that you have this situation where you don't know what you're going to get from him. It's the same thing with Dustin. You don't really know what you're going to get from him, but you can take chances. Like if DeChambeau misses the cut or if Dustin misses the cut, I'm not going to be surprised. But if they go out and they end up winning this tournament, I'm also not going to be shocked. Like, that's why it's not a full fate on Dustin. I just want to preface that one more time. It's in the right matchup, and it's really specifically against Xander if I can find that matchup at the right number with it. But, no, I, I like the thought process with Shambo. I think that anytime we're talking about upside and long iron play, we remove the problem with Shambo short iron from the equation. We know he is probably the best par five scorer in the world. Um He's the longest player in the world. The long irons are some of the best in the world. Like this is the type of course that you would expect him to find success at. I know he missed the cut in 2018 and 2017. He's a different player now. He's built differently. His body's different. I think it's a good tournament for him. And and I don't have a problem with that wager. Sweet. Okay. And then last question, Jordan Spieth, 41 or no value? I I think Spieth, it gets a little bit more difficult on. Cause like, I agree with your initial assessment with it. Like if we're looking for just, like shooting for the moon here, like Dustin and DeShambo would be more of my preferred routes of how to do it. Okay. That's cool. That's fair. No, that's all I got. Uh, well, I guess that is probably just don't, it. don't sit out Xander. Cause it's going to happen. Well, I, 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 know I don't want to win and you not be on there. You're going to have to convince me on that one. <laughs> I like the number, like this is going to turn into the Cameron Smith thing of the first week where it's like, the number made sense and I just couldn't get myself to do it at the number for whatever reason with it. And and I know that that's the route I'm going down with Xander, but I just, I don't think I can get myself to do it at it. Hopefully he drifts. Cause as of right now, he is not projected to be one of the chalky selections. He's 12 and a half percent, but uh, Hideki's higher than him. Thomas is higher than him. Rom is double what he is. You know, a guy like Finau is like 24%. I know that this is not exactly the same conversation of DraftKings and betting, but you can't get a general idea of where some of the public money is going to come in based off of that. So maybe Xander drifts. If we can get an 18 or a 20, I guess consider me in I think the highest I've seen is 17 right now, but uh, I'm going to need an 18 to a 20 to probably reconsider the situation. All right. That is fair. And then one thing to note, Jordan Spieth is the three ball favorite with Justin Rose and Patrick Reed. So that's a good thing to throw out there. I like if you're, I'm, there, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to want to bet Patrick Reed this week. So uh, if the sports books are saying speed is the right way to go and at 40 to one, I mean, that's something to at least take into account there, but uh, that's probably it for me this week, man. Uh, let everyone know where they can find you. And before you get out of here, give us a Super Bowl matchup in the winner before we depart. Oh, Oh, man. All right. Well, it, my Twitter is at sticks S T I X P I C K S. And just thanks again for all the support to everybody this year. We've gained a ton of followers and we greatly appreciate it. We'll probably do some swag giveaways here in the near future. I had Buffalo in the Super Bowl, but I was actually like rooting for them to lose last night. Um, I don't know why I just, that game was just not, obviously we could talk about that game forever, but 
Oh man, I, I want Joe Burrow to go, but and I do think that KC is a much better matchup for Cincinnati than Buffalo was. I had Buffalo price at minus eight and a half if they go to if they host Cincinnati, uh, just because that pass rush and it's a lot tougher to run on Buffalo than is KC. I, I just I want Burrow to win so bad, but I don't see it happening. They do need to just give Joe Mixon thirty carries, keep Mahomes off the field as much as possible. But if the game kind of goes haywire, I think that they could compete in a shootout. They, that's the thing too. And they beat KC. They only gave up three points the second half to the chiefs that game in Kansas city. That's not going to happen again. So I do understand that there's probably value on KC with a touchdown favorite, just because I think they were a five or six point favorite at Cincinnati last time. And now they're at home with the same line. So I think that that's kind of an error, but I'm going to go KC and I'm going to go the Rams. I think the Rams absolutely beat the shit out of San Fran. I know San Fran is, is riding high right now, but I think I went on a rant one of our first podcasts this year about yeah McVay just completely taking his foot off the gas and playing into Shanahan's game of a snail's pace, just slugfest in the ground. So there's no way anybody in that coaching staff is that dumb to let that happen again. If they receive the ball to start the half or start the game, score right off the bat, get a stop because that defense looked damn good against Tampa Bay. I know all hell broke loose in the second half of Von Miller looks like Von Miller again. And a lot of people didn't really value that pickup and starting to see why or why they were wrong. So I think San Fran wins or uh, LA beats the hell out of San Fran. I will take them on any number. I got it opened at minus three and now I think it's three in the hook. So I'm glad I got the three, but I would bet three and a half too. I just, for some reason, I don't know why I trust McVay, but if they watch tape, there's just no way that they could allow themselves to play slow and keep San Francisco in the game because that secondary is not good. Their defense is fine, but there's just too many weapons on LA's offense. Odell looks like Odell again. Van Jefferson could beat anybody down the field. Higby's a stud in the middle of the field. We don't need to talk about Cooper Cup. Um, and then you get the Cam Akers effect, too. It's a whole different Rams team, too, than the last time they played them with the the just agility and elusiveness of Cam Akers and Sony Michelle's no slouch too. So hopefully Whitworth is back for the Rams, but yeah, I'm going to go Casey in the Rams and I think it will be an excellent, excellent game, but I, my heart wants uh, Cincinnati and the Rams. Give us a winner. If that is the Super Bowl. I think the Rams win. I so, think they beat Casey. So I'll start with this. I agree with you. I think that both of those games are going to be absolute slaughter jobs. Um, I, I guess it's a little bit different on um, the Kansas City take there, but I, no, think both- I, th- I think they will. It's just the only way Cincinnati has a chance is if they can establish the pace and score early because it, they're going to have to score. So if they go two, three and outs, I think they like they kind of did with Tennessee. They didn't score for a long time. Uh, that is going to be a problem. I would agree with you on that. I, I do think both of the favorites cover this weekend, though. Uh, a Chiefs and Rams Super Bowl, I think, would be a very good game. In my opinion, it would likely come down to what you were saying with the mix-in effect there. I think if the Rams can establish the ground game with Akers, that they're going to have a realistic chance to win that game. For as bad as KC has been at times on defense this year, they aren't giving up a ton of explosive plays. When I last glanced, they were inside the top 12 teams in that stat. Um, Besides Gabe Davis. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, he goes for 200 and something yards and every single play seemed to be for 50 yards, but... Yes. I mean, outside of that, they really weren't giving up that many big plays before that. But, you know, we'll see where the honey badger is. I know that he suffered a concussion. So, I mean, if he's out this week, that could change the 
complexion of that game maybe a little bit. But I agree. I, I think the way to beat Kansas City is to try to slow it down against them and try to run the football. I think Kansas City should be able to stop some of the explosiveness from the Rams if they play that game. But I, I will take the Chiefs over the Rams, uh, but I would not be shocked if it was the other way around either. I don't think we're going to get the game that we got in 2000 and when was that 18 where they played in Mexico and it was 54 51. I was at the homes went back and forth. I was at the MGM that night. I think it was Monday night football, the the week of Thanksgiving. So right before Thanksgiving, I went to Vegas with some buddies and we were uh, sitting at the sports book with Pat Perez at MGM and got hammered, but we bet the over. So that was fun. But yeah, one of the cool stories, a really nice guy, Pat Perez, just uh, someone I never golf or uh, bet in golf because you know, whatever, but it's a cool guy. Well, he likes drinking. He likes shoes. Yeah. I mean, those it's, are the two things that are my kind of dude. Him. Yeah. He's always wearing Jordans and he's drinking whiskey. I like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, it'll, it'll be a good game, but you know, thank you once again for everybody who has tuned into this program over the last year, we are approaching the one year anniversary of us starting this show. So uh, we couldn't do this without everybody that listens. You can follow me on Twitter at TF sports. You can find the two of us together at better golf pod. And good luck this week at the Farmers Insurance Open. Hey, and good or congratulations to you on the FSWA Award nominee, dude. That is badass. If people don't know what that is, look it up. But it is like the highest honor in fantasy sports, at least on the the social media atmosphere of it. So congrats to you, Spencer. You are the uh, the captain of the ship, and I'm happy to be along for the ride. Well, I really appreciate you bringing that up, man. It was a huge honor to be included alongside Pat Mayo and Brian DeCordy as one of three yeah, finalists. Look at the names. Like, yeah, look at yeah, the it's, names. It's Were you shocked? Heavy, uh, I forgot to ask because I was as soon as like that came out, I was like all into football and doing that for Win Daily. So I was like, fuck, I never really got around to telling Spencer congrats. But yeah, were you shocked? I feel like that had to be pretty awesome. I was surprised with it. You know, this is something that, you know, I, I've said this before on this show, but I originally got into this space as a sports better that wanted to provide outside the box content for various sports. Uh, but I made a calculated decision just over a year ago to focus solely on the golf portion of the industry. Uh, this is something that I eat, sleep, breathe every single day to try and hone my craft so I can provide the best information possible for anybody that either reads my content or listens to the shows that I do like the better golf podcast here. But uh, it was a massive privilege to be recognized and included next to those two. It's, I was surprised, but I think when you put yourself into the space and you try to provide the best content you can, you kind of have to have a belief in yourself that what you're doing is something that is making a difference with it. So uh, sur- surprise would be one way to put it, but just, just honored more than anything. Oh yeah, man. I would find it hard to believe anybody works harder than you do. So tip of the cap there. Well, I appreciate that, Nick. And I, once again, you know, thank you for listening to the show, everybody. Like we wouldn't have this show without everybody who tunes into it. So good luck this week, guys. And we will be back next week for Pebble Beach.